Hello and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast where you may be able to help solve a mystery. For every mystery, someone somewhere knows the answer, and perhaps that person is listening tonight. Perhaps it's you. I'm Emily. I'm Sarah. Uh, have we done this one before? We may never know. As I told Sarah before we started recording, I've never seen an original episode of Unsolved Mysteries. So this I is still can't believe this. I will get around to it. Maybe it was a little bit before your time. You are a 90s baby. Yeah, Unsolved Mysteries was more 80s. Did you know that Robert Stack is Taryn Killen's like uncle? No. Yeah, he was on an episode of I think Brooks Whelan's podcast like forever ago when he was talking about how he was related to Robert Stack. That's legendary. I love that for him. <laughs> um Okay, so <laughs> we're gonna do a very, I as I was describing it to Travis, it's like an autistic level of specific subject matter. <laughs> Emily's special interest. It's true. Um, yeah, so I've mentioned before that one of my favorite unsolved mystery genres is John and Jane Doe's that had a fake identity that no one knew was fake until they died or they did some weird stuff right before they died under mysterious circumstances and sometimes both at the same time. <laughs> there those are always fascinating cases i guess honestly it was not something that i like knew i mean i guess if i had found out about it beforehand i wouldn't have been like that's not a thing but uh thinking sideways really just like poisoned my well uh oh, yeah. <laughs> so like thank you to uh steve joe and devin for um giving me that gift truly a formative podcast if we're gonna it be really, honest i think that might be what made me into like the weirder weird kid <laughs> It was definitely, like, obviously, there was weirdness before that, but definitely that, like, exacerbated the weirdness, for sure. Oh, yeah. They they definitely gave me that shove, and I appreciate it. So... Thank you. The the issue with enjoying this, this topic, I guess it's not an issue with enjoying it, but is that sometimes the story is only fascinating until the person is identified. I mean, I would argue that all of the time, it's only interesting. Well, well here's the thing. So, like, sometimes you do just end up with a sad story, uh, like with the Lori Erica Ruff story or the Lyle Stevick story, um, where it's just kind of a bummer. Um, we're not going to do either of them because, you know, you got to make cuts. And also, uh, I think Lyle Stevick specifically, his family did not want to release uh, his yeah, real they, name. Or, yeah. So it's, it's none of my business anymore. Um, but a bunch of others, like... Even though we are going to talk about two that have technically been quote unquote solved, as in the person has been identified under their like um, government name, mm-hmm. th- they're still interesting because there's a lot of shit around it. Like that, y- it doesn't explain. Like, sure, we have this guy's name, but like that doesn't that doesn't cover a lot of the weird shit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my my caveat is that I know I'm not the only one who's gone down these rabbit holes. And I ask you, the audience, to remember that this is like an introduction to these cases because we're doing four of them, and each one could probably be their own episode. It's a potpourri episode. It's a potpourri. My favorite. It's a John Doe-pourri. A Doe-pourri. A Doe-pourri. Oh, I hate it. Um, so yeah, we're we're not going to get to like everything, but we'll get to stuff. I mean- that's also the thing about like why these cases are so interesting is because there are so many little details. Yeah. 
It's not like, oh, we found this body, we don't know who he is. Uh So, trigger warning, uh, this episode will be dealing a lot with the subject of suicide and murder. Um, I won't get, like, too graphic, but you can't tell these stories without branching into those topics. Specifically suicide. Um, specifically suicide. Yeah, that's a... It's a common theme. Um, yeah. And you'll kind of... Yeah. But, I mean, let's just get into solving some mysteries. Um, I'll cite my sources with each section, so I'm not, like, giving away the farm on what we're talking about. Perfect. So, we're gonna start with my pet cases. Um, they have mercifully, for the people involved, been solved. Uh, and like I said, that the deceased has been identified, but the circumstances surrounding them are still pretty weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We're going to open with a banger. Uh, we're going to talk about Joseph Newton Chandler, who I mentioned in the Zodiac Hell episode. Yeah. This, uh, this weirdo. This weirdo. Um, I have a lot of opinions about this one. <laughs> so my sources are newsherald.com, uh, Wikipedia, and a really good Vox article, as well as... Um, my Zodiac research, and the episode of Thinking Sideways. I did not re-listen to any of the Thinking Sideways episodes before this, just because I wanted to, like, keep my brain, like, fresh on stuff. But I'm sure that's, like, knowledge you've been marinating. Oh, I've retained it. It lives in my heart. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right. So on March 11th, 1937, Joseph Newton Chandler III was born in Buffalo, New York. Eight years later, on December 21st, 1945, he and both his parents were killed in a traffic accident outside Dallas, Texas. Jeez, poor kid. And that's the end of the story? Yep. (laughs) 33 years later, Joseph Newton Chandler III apparently came back to life in South (gasps) Dakota and requested a copy of his birth certificate and his first social security card. It's a ghost. Very civically minded ghost. (laughs) A ghost who's going to file his taxes. And get a driver's license. All right. So fast forward to July 23rd, 2002. I know. (laughs) It's a bit of a time gap, but much like with the Avengers, we will handle it um, in a non-confusing fashion. (laughs) Um, So on July 23rd, 2002, Joseph Newton Chandler III's ghost died by self-inflicted gunshot wound in his studio apartment in Eastlake, Ohio. It would take six days for authorities to find his body, and only then because neighbors in the apartment complex had complained about the smell. Yeah, even though it's, oh god, it's July. So yeah, that's ew. Yeah. In Ohio, you said? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Five foot seven, 160 pounds, new Chandler had white hair, uh, which was parted uh, to the side, gray eyes, which were covered by thick glasses with brown frames. He had specks of blood on his shirt, pants, and shoes. Uh, detectives say that when he was found, his face was black from decomposition and the gun he'd used was under his body. I didn't say I wasn't going to get graphic at all. I just said I wasn't going to get too graphic. Yeah, that's unpleasant. So the mystery man had no real friends, no apparent family, and left no indication of what his whole fucking deal was. (laughs) Uh, At one point, he had claimed to have a sister named Mary Wilson. However, the address he provided for her in Columbus, Ohio was fake. Uh, co-workers described him as being a hermit, which is a word that you don't hear in the modern era very much. I don't know. I use that to refer to myself. Yeah, but you, like, talk to people and, like, go out in the world. But this guy, like, literally only left his apartment to work and eat and, like, do errands. I mean... Sarah, you go on vacation. This man did make an appearance at an acquaintance's Halloween party in 1992, dressed as a gangster. Uh, there are a couple pictures from that, actually. Oh, uh, yeah, but apparently he spoke to no one at the parties. Uh, he well, also... That's well-adjusted behavior. 
he also occasionally disappeared for days at a time and once stated that the people chasing him were getting closer. Mm. You know, stuff you tell an acquaintance. Yeah. Because that's all he had were acquaintances. <laughs> he had a co-worker co-sign on his lease. Like, he didn't have anyone else to. It's weird that he would have to co-sign, but I guess if you have still an identity, you probably don't have... Credit history? Credit history to back that up, yeah. Yep. <laughs> this is a man who I think deals in cash a lot. Yeah. Despite the no friends thing, apparently we know, just from people talking, that he would do things like listen to white noise for hours on end and create little gadgets, uh, such as a breaker box that changed TV channels when a commercial came on, which is a remote... <laughs> But it was I guess if it does it automatically, it's pretty cool, but... How does it know? I don't know. I'm assuming there's something in the signal. I don't know. A gold star fact warning. Uh, he also turned up at a local hospital in 1989 with lesions oh. on his penis that he attributed to a vacuum. Uh, this is one of those things I don't like about these cases. Is sometimes you get these little details that are just, like, too personal. <laughs> like... I understand they have so little to work with, and sometimes anything is a clue. But like, yeah, but like I don't feel like anybody needed to know that. <laughs> what whatever happened between that man and his vacuum is between <laughs> himself and his vacuum and and God. <laughs> and this is actually very relatable. Uh, there's also a story of how he drove 700 miles to the LL Bean flagship store in Maine, only to turn around and head back to Ohio when he couldn't find parking. <sighs> yeah. I get it. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> Parking's the worst. Um, I so, wouldn't turn around after a seven-hour drive, but like, yeah, seven, I definitely avoid going places because I know parking sucks. <laughs> seven hundred miles. I yeah, could be almost to like several hours. Yeah, I could be almost to Los Angeles with that. Mm -hmm. um, his apartment contained books like "How to Make Money in Stocks" and "How to Make Money with Your Computer at Home." Uh, camera oh, lenses, so he was a sucker. Yeah, uh, camera lenses, a calendar with the days leading up to his death marked off. Which it said that it was the days leading up to his death marked off, but it would be weirder if days after his death were marked off. So I think he was just marking off days. Yeah, I don't think that strikes me less as a countdown and more just like he was the type to mark off days on the calendar, and eventually he could no longer do that. Yes. Uh, his computer search history included the search terms plastic explosives and various terms related to Nazism. Uh, I mean, I've definitely searched plastic explosives. I've searched both of those things. Maybe he was a creative writer. I don't yeah. know if the police have ever, you know, considered that. Well, they can't do any more search on his computer because the first two private investigators that examined his computer broke it. Cut. Why? Do they let cops near computers? Never yeah, I mean, well. <laughs> if if they had gotten someone qualified to handle a computer, Casey Anthony would be in jail right now. Yeah. That's a different episode that we will never do. <laughs> no, I don't have the patience for it. Anyway, here's the real kicker about this guy who lived in a studio apartment in Ohio. There was over $80,000 in his bank account and his only emergency contacts were his coworkers who were also the executors of his estate. Wow. The fact that he had stolen the identity of a dead child only came to light after authorities tried to hunt down next of kin and ended up being told by, uh... <laughs> Joseph oh, this kid died 50 years ago. Well, they tracked down Joseph Newton Chandler's aunt. Huh. And she told them that he had, in fact, died in 1945. 
God, what a bizarre phone call that must have been for the aunt. It's yeah, it's not a super common name, especially with the like third added to it. Like, yeah, that's real specific. Authorities were unable to find any usable fingerprints, probably because of decomposition. Mm, yeah. um, but were able to get a DNA sample. Uh, only after discovering that he had visited a hospital in Lake County, Ohio, for colon cancer surgery two years prior in 2000. Oh. Um, that's also when they learned that he had been diagnosed with colon cancer, possibly terminal, which might explain the suicide. That, yeah, that would do it. So I guess that explains that. Uh, theories were thrown around from all angles. Uh, people were convinced that this man might be anyone from D.B. Cooper to the East Area Rapist to the Zodiac. Um, hmm. Clinical dickhead and occasional reporter James Renner posited that he might have even been a spy. <sighs> yeah, no, they're... I'm just going to come out and say it right now. They're never spies. Well, I... Actually, I don't talk about this case at all. The Isdal woman, I believe, might have... Um, might have been, but that was in the 70s during the Cold War, so that makes that's, more sense. That's possible. I will say, I read, I can't remember if it was in a Reddit thread or something, not like this is like, you know, a hearing from an expert, but like, it has been pointed out to me somewhere that like, typically spies don't have no identities, they have a cover identity. Yeah, I mean, so if like, they have like a full life, so I'm, I'm thinking specifically like something like the Summerton Man, where it's like, do you talk about that one? No. Okay, great. Then I don't need to worry about getting into He was it. too big. And it's, like, partially solved, and I just didn't feel like uh, tiptoeing yeah. through those two lips. Fair enough. But, like, Spy was a very popular theory from him, because he had, like, cut out all the tags from his clothes and, like, didn't carry ID. And, like, that's not how spies work. He wouldn't be anonymous. He would be, like, integrated into... He would be someone. Yeah. They would have a cover identity for him, and he would be pretend- pretending to be someone else, not pretending to be no one. Also, sometimes tags tickle your neck, and you just take them out. Yeah, sometimes tags just suck. Yeah. I'm really glad that, like, clothes in general have moved towards just not having tags. Oh, yeah, just print that shit right in my shirt. Yeah. I don't care. I love it. It's great. <laughs> that's right. my that's my uh, most fervent opinion of this entire episode. Tags suck. Okay. Please continue. Anyway, um, so thanks to the magic of DNA, we now know that Joseph Newton Chandler was actually a man called Robert Ivan Nichols, a World War II vet from Indiana. Uh, in 1964, Nichols divorced his wife, telling her, quote, in due time, you will know why, unquote. Spoiler alert, she still doesn't know why. No. Uh, in March 1965, he wrote to his parents that he had moved to Richmond, California, and he also sent a letter to his son, Phil, from Napa, California, around the same time, which is where the Zodiac thing comes in. Oh, maybe he was the, Z- no! was the Zodiac. <laughs> but Emily, he went to California once. In the 60s, Yes. Fucking four years before the Zodiac started. His family never heard from him again, and they reported him missing in 1965. Uh, When the family used detectives to attempt to find him in California and Indiana, they were unable to turn up anyone who knew him. Uh, Nichols worked using his real name until about 1976, according to the IRS. And when did he go get the fake ID and the fake name? About 1976. (laughs) Oh, okay. Great. That's when he decided that um, he was going to be someone else then. Yeah. Oh, wait, 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 wait. No. 78. Okay. So there's a gap, but presumably he just wasn't leaving a paper trail in those years. Yeah. Um, From accounts by his eldest son, Nichols was a very quiet, solitary man. Um, And when he came back home from the war as a Purple Heart recipient, it was like he got attacked and like he was one of two people who survived the attack. Um, Anyway, so he got back. Yeah. Burned his uh, army uniforms and stated that he was a pacifist. 
Yeah, I can't even imagine the kind of trauma those guys went through. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, people are still trying to pin a variety of crimes on him. Um, but his son, Phil, doesn't think that his dad was up to anything shadier than trying to get out of paying child support. <laughs> but here's the you thing. Know, I think that's probably a more common motivation than we think. No, yeah, I... I I don't think because everyone is like, well, he must be on the run from some violent crimes. Like, no, I think this was a man who was deeply traumatized by the war, decided that he didn't want to be in the family anymore, and then like made himself disappear. Yeah, it happens. He, He's just rarely good if, at it. Yeah, I think that's often the case in a lot of these cases. It's just like a lot of us can't comprehend like going the lengths these people go to to hide their identities. But like, these aren't well-adjusted people. Clearly, no. And, like, that's not trying to be, like, dismissive or derogatory. Just, like, there's clearly, like, some... They're not well. Yeah, I mean, like, with the Lori Erica Ruff thing, like, she was clearly very mentally ill, like, paranoia style. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure she just changed her identity because she was running away from, like, her mom and her <laughs> shitty boyfriend. Yeah, sometimes people just don't want to be found, and some people take that very seriously. Yeah. Whether that's logical or not, it doesn't, you know, human beings are not logical. It's really hard to, it's really useless to try and apply rational logic to human behavior. Oh, yeah. Which uh, leads us into our second story, the story of the Christmas tree lady, which is like, as you well know. <laughs> yeah, like, this is, this is mine. Yeah, this one always got me too. And like, the more I read about it, the more and less it made sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. My sources for this one are Wikipedia, Washington Post, and um, an article on a website called DNA Solves. So, spoiler alert, we know who she is. (laughs) DNA solved it. It's true. DNA has really been harshing my unsolved mysteries, but... (laughs) Yeah, I think... I mean, I have my issues with the familial DNA stuff, but, like, I think... A really good application of that is these, like, unidentified dope cases. Oh, yeah. And, like, I'm not saying we shouldn't use it for criminal stuff. Like, it's nice that we know who the East Area Rapist is, but, you know. It is a very nuanced conversation. Um, yeah, two podcast idiots should definitely have that <laughs> On right this now. podcast. Yeah, both of us with our law degrees. Yeah. Okay. So, our next case is, like I said, the Christmas Tree Lady or the Annandale Jane Doe. Christmas Tree Lady is more fun, though. Yeah. Uh, so, this one fascinated me because of the amount of random crap that they found with her body uh but also she set up an intensely dramatic scene for herself and it i honestly respect it is so over the top like i love it i love this for her because clearly she wanted to go out with like drama yeah, I would say, it does make me think, and maybe this is getting a little ahead of the story, but, like, maybe she was one of the persons who did just kind of want to be an enigma an enigma in death. Who knows? Yeah. So, uh, in December of 1996, a groundskeeper at Pleasant Valley Memorial Park Cemetery in Annandale, Virginia, discovered a woman's body. She wore bifocals uh, with translucent frames, a good look, a blue sweater, or a blue jacket over a blue sweater, blue pants. She carried a green backpack. Um, clothes notably the investigators believe might have come from an upscale store so she's a fancy lady Ooh. she also was wearing a gold watch and a 14 karat gold ring with jade stones which that's fancy stuff yeah uh, for just a body you find laying in the cemetery so to prepare her scene uh oh yes yeah, she she i should probably note that she had a plastic bag wrapped around her head in an apparent suicide yeah that's that's i don't know why i did put that in the first paragraph and i was like laying this out but yeah it's not funny 
I just... Mm. To prepare her scene, she had spread a clear plastic sheet on the ground in a section of the cemetery that was meant for babies and children. Next to the sheet, she placed an eight-inch decorated Christmas tree. Uh, In addition to drinking brandy, uh, her blood alcohol level level was 0.14, which I think was high, right? Yeah, yeah, 0.8 is like the legal, 0.08 is. Okay, okay. Yeah. So yeah, she had a lot of fucking brandy. Yeah. Uh, She also took Valium, Valium, Valium. And had two empty juice bottles, a plastic cup, and a new roll of masking tape in her backpack, which she had used to secure a plastic bag over her head. She was determined. Yes. Also found with her were was a small Minnie Mouse fanny pack, a Walkman, headphones, and cassette tapes of, and I'm not fucking kidding, Jeff Foxworthy's You Might Be a Redneck and Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner doing their 2,000-year-old man routine. The uh, Mel Brooks tape was the one in her Walkman. Uh-huh. Can you imagine the last thing you hear on this earthly plane is... Mel Brooks? No. If you have a bathtub in your lawn, you might be a redneck. I'm sorry, Jeff Foxworthy. I love you. It was you, a different but... time, Emily. That was, that was funny in 1996. The last thing that you hear is Jeff Foxworthy. Well, I mean, it makes sense then why she would choose... The Mel Brooks instead. I mean, it's better than Bill Engvall, I guess. <laughs> I Admission time. I love the blue-collar comedy <laughs> tour specials. I do. I've definitely seen it. I mean, who hasn't? I, I like Larry the Cable Guy a lot. <laughs> I've seen both his movies. This surprises me? Not at all. Have you met my father? <laughs> You've met Steve. I have, yes. Anyway, this poor woman. <sighs> anyway. Um, when cemetery workers found her shortly after 9 a.m., they called the police, as you should. Mm-hmm. Uh, detectives arrived 40 minutes later. I guess it was a busy fucking day in Annandale. I mean, I also, I guess there's not really a rush. I guess. Like, um, well, when they found, when they arrived 40 minutes later, her body was still warm. Mm-hmm. Um, as the investigators checked her pockets for identification, they found two envelopes. And this is where she gets real dramatic and the respect grows. Uh, they found two envelopes, one addressed to the cemetery and one addressed to the coroner. Both contained two new $50 bills and the same type note, quote, deceased by own hand, prefer no autopsy. Please order cremation with funds provided. Thank you, Jane Doe. Another typed note, typewriter typed note. This is important. Well, I don't really talk about the typewriter later, but it adds to the drama that it's typewritten. Mm. Uh, another note read, uh, Now I lay me down to sleep, soon to drift to the eternal deep, and though I die and shall not wake, sleep sweeter will be than this life I forsake. Damn, woman. Does she have the poetry skills of BTK? Yes. Do I still respect her? That's yes. That is painting a scene. <laughs> When they couldn't identify the woman through fingerprints or locate any family from missing persons reports, police distributed a drawing of the woman. They still got nothing. Which, to be fair, she kind of just looks like your standard older lady. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I don't know what I'm going to do for pictures on this, because, like, they're kind of creepy. Yeah, the, uh, all of those, like, unidentified, like, the reconstructions and the sketches, like, there's always something just a little off about all of them. You have my solemn word that I will not post any crime scene pictures with a body or post-mortem photos. Thank you. I don't I, want to put those on no, Instagram. No, I've had to look at them way too much over the last, like, two weeks, and I, I don't want to put that on anyone else. 
All right. The deal with this case, like with the previous one, is that we now know who this person is, but it actually answered nothing about how they ended up where they were. Mm-hmm. So Christmas Tree Lady was identified in May of 2022 as Joyce Meyer Summers, a 69-nice-year-old woman originally from Davenport, Iowa. Her family... <laughs> I'm going to do it every time. Like Such an unserious uh, podcast. We're really terrible. I feel like she would, maybe not like mocking. I'm not mocking her. Um, I feel like this is probably what she would have wanted. People talking about her. Maybe not the little 69 nice thing that I just did right there, but like, <laughs> you know, she's a mystery. Um, so her family had been looking for her since she had cut ties with them in 1981. Yikes. Uh, after they had a falling out. Um, without spilling this woman's tea all over the internet, which you can actually find multiple gallons of tea on this woman on the internet. Oh, yeah. We know that she had grown up in a big family and may or may not have experienced abuse at the hands of her mother. It's a big question mark. Mm -hmm. Uh, According to a self-published book found in the fridge of her abandoned trailer in Tucson in the 90s, Uh, as well as comments made by one of Joyce's surviving siblings. A therapist she saw in the 50s may have convinced her that her mother was not great. Um, Joyce's siblings deny these claims about their mother, which either points to denial or Joyce having some shit to work out on her own. Yeah, I could go either way on that. Like, I I tend to believe the person who says that they were abused, but this is also the decade, or not necessarily the decade. It was the 50s. We're getting into, like, recovered memory kind of territory, and I don't know, maybe that... I it's feasible. I with this one like I think mental illness did play a part, but I also like it is entirely possible that she believes um and and maybe she was uh like verbally abused by her mother, which her mother might not have uh expressed to the other children cuz the the one that's denying these these claims is the youngest, which yeah. they get sheltered from a lot and and Joyce was one of the older children. So I I think maybe, like, there might have been something there. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, we're never going to know. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like, we honestly have would have no idea. And I don't think you could ever get a definitive answer on that. Because memories are faulty. And people have, uh, you know, incentive to believe one way or the other. Like, it's kind of hard to get to the bottom of that. And, like, on the flip side, some people are very dramatic and like to play the victim. So, like, mm-hmm. who knows? Um, in the 60s... Joyce moved to Seattle, got married, and then uh, divorced in 1977, a relationship that notably bore no children. And I I guess, like, an interesting tidbit is that she did have a large scar on her abdomen, which investigators thought might be a C-section scar. Mm -hmm. But as noted, uh, no documented children are are attributed to her. Yeah, and I know that was a big thing because she was specifically in the children's section of the cemetery, correct? Yeah, I have a little note about that at the end. Okay. But, I mean, that's still one of the biggest question marks. Um, From Seattle, after her divorce, she moved to the trailer park in Tucson. Uh, In the early 80s, her siblings all visited her. Uh, She asked them to help her build a house, uh, but the siblings refused, saying they couldn't do that, which apparently greatly upset her. Um, And that was the last time that she was seen by her family. Uh, they believed that Summers joined a cult, which she probably didn't, but it was the 80s. And yeah. yeah. And they later hired a private investigator to locate her, but that failed. Um, there were some hints that Summers moved to the East Coast, but these leads went nowhere. And examinations of police databases indicated that she may have lived in Northern Virginia in 1996, uh, possibly Alexandria, Virginia. Okay. Which would have been nearby where she was found then. Yeah. Um, I did have a, a weird theory today, and I'm just verifying a date. 
No. Okay. So I was I was thinking, because I was listening to a podcast about Heaven's Gate today, that her family thought that she joined a cult, and she ended up committing suicide by um, putting a plastic bag over her head. So I was like, oh, maybe she joined Heaven's Gate and was one of like the offshoots. But she died in 96, and Heaven's Gate died in 97. So that's... Okay. Never mind. But it was a thought that I had. Scary though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's all we know. Her sister didn't think she had children, um, making the choice of venue a little strange, but her sister theorizes mm-hmm. that her sister did it, uh, quote, she chose the spot, uh, she chose the children's section of the cemetery as a symbolic nod to her belief that parent- parental abuse can permanently damage children, which is a stretch. I mean, maybe, I don't know. It also could have been something as simple as like, maybe that section of the cemetery just looked nice. And it was quiet. Yeah. Or she was sad that she never had kids. Or she's dramatic yeah. as fuck. I don't I don't know. That's what I said. Like, there are a number. There are an infinite number of possibilities. Like, why she made that choice. And you can't understand what's going on in someone else's head. There could have just been room to spread out. Yeah. So that's, that's a Christmas tree lady. Yeah. That's always such a sad story. I think it even got sadder after she was identified. <laughs> like, it was sad to begin with. And then, like, you hear kind of, like, her life and... Yeah, I feel I feel sorry for her. Yeah, I also I I don't know. I still kind of respect that she like made a spectacle of it. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're going to cruise into unsolved cases. Congratulations, you made it this far. We're going to start with one that I was going to say was pretty recent, uh, but I have since realized that I'm old in 2009 wasn't just a few years ago. (laughs) Oh, boy, it was a full decade and a half ago. Yep. So I hate that. But um, as a result of it being recent. We have a ton of information about the days leading up to the uh, spoiler alert death of our next subject. Fascinating as it is to like have all that information, CCTV is really creepy. Mm, yeah. So we are going to talk about Peter Bergman. <gasps> yes, this guy. So my sources here are uh, Wikipedia, Irish Times, a Vice article that was surprisingly very helpful. Sometimes can do some good journalism. Sometimes Vice does good journalism. Other times their head is so far up their ass that they can see the backs of their teeth. But <laughs> yes, correct. That was actually one of my favorite plot points of the movie, The Sacrament, is that it was Vice reporters going to check out this Jonestowny cult, <laughs> and they just fucked the whole thing up. Yep, that's exactly what would happen. It's a good movie, though. Highly recommend it. It's it's great if you're like curious about Jonestown, but like don't want don't want to deal with the reality of it. Yes. Also great if you just love being anxious for 90 minutes. Oh, God. I knew how it ended, and it was, like, butt-clenched the entire time. I actually, this is one of those, like, little brags. I, I saw it um, with Ty West. Ooh. <laughs> um, it was at the Portland Film Festival in 2013, 14. Uh, we had just had a big snowstorm, and I had just come from someone's birthday party, so I was drunk and frozen, and it was at midnight. <laughs> And it's, like, one of those, like, core memories where, like, uh-huh. I don't know if it was, like, as pleasant as I remember it, but, like, it's a very, <laughs> it's a very good memory. <laughs> um, anyway, so Peter Bergman. Um, on June 12th, 2009, a well-dressed, I think that's the day I graduated high school. Oh, boy. Anyways, um, <laughs> a well-dressed man with short gray hair, blue eyes, a tan complexion in his 50s or 60s, boarded a bus going from Derry to, is it Sligo? Sligo? Sligo. Sligo, yeah. okay. Sligo, Ireland. Um, a distance that's about a two-hour drive or like 80 miles, mm-hmm. depending on how fast you're driving, I guess. If it's in Ireland, very slowly. It's a two-hour bus ride. 
Let's put it that way. I looked it up. Um, both are seaside towns, for what it's worth. Um, no, Derry is not a seaside town. Is it not? I thought it was on, like, a port. No, it's on a river. Well, Derry's not a seaside town. <laughs> yeah, I guess Psycho is, though. I guess that would have come up in Derry Girls once or twice if they live near the beach. Mm-hmm. My only point of reference. I've been there. So. I need to. <laughs> I mean, not to brag, but I've been there. And there was definitely no sea. I think so. you being like, I've been to this town is less of a brag than my little, like, I saw it with the director a few minutes ago, so you're fine. <laughs> so they're not both seaside towns. So that's not an interesting note anymore. Uh, he was wearing a black leather jacket, blue pants, uh, socks. A black leather belt and a pair of black shoes. He was carrying a black shoulder bag as well as a black carry-on bag. Apparently, the clothes were from a clothing chain in Europe that has most of its stores in Austria and Germany. Okay. Uh, Once he arrived in Sligo, the man took a cab to the city center, a move that has been noted as weird because it's a 10-minute walk. But he had bags, and he might not have known that it was a short walk. And also, like, you know... I don't know, maybe he has any number of disabilities that make that a difficult walk for him. We will touch on that shortly. Um, The cab dropped him off and he entered a hotel, which was full due to it being heavy tourist season. Uh, And then he tried his luck at the Sligo City Hotel where he paid per night in cash. Uh, While checking in, he gave the name of Peter Bergman and an address that was later reported as... Ah, fuck. (laughs) Einstetternsen, 15-4472, Vienna, Austria. It doesn't exist. It's a vacant lot. Okay. So it does not matter. It doesn't matter if I can pronounce it or not. It's a real town, but it's a vacant lot. Um, according to the staff and tenants at the hotel, the man spoke English with a thick German accent, although it could have been Austrian because it's hard to tell the mm-hmm. difference. It could have been I mean, fucking yes. Belgian for all I know. They're always Belgian. At, again, we'll we'll talk about that. Uh, at no point did anyone ask to see ID, which is wild to me in the year of our Lord 2009. I mean, not necessarily. I don't know if I check in a, at a hotel if I've ever been asked for ID. Really? I've had to show ID and a credit card for every hotel I've checked into. I don't know. Maybe I'm misremembering. I definitely, like, have handed over credit cards. Maybe it's different in the Irish countryside. I don't know. Entirely possible. Yeah, because you always have to pay, like, a deposit. Yeah, but, like, you don't need an ID for that, usually. That's true. I, I guess you're more concerned well, about getting your credit card number on file than who you are. I guess. But. They ask for ID because I make reservations, but he didn't have reservations, so they don't need mm-hmm. to verify that he is the man that the reservation Making was made the reservation. Under. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, the next day, which was Saturday the 13th, Bergman visited the post office at 10.49 a.m. This is where the CCTV thing becomes creepy, because we have, like, timestamps on everything they saw this man do. Yeah. Um. He bought eight stamps and some airmail stickers. Uh, he ran other errands around town and arrived back at the hotel to eat and occasionally go outside to smoke. So this seems like a pretty average day, but a weird detail. Uh, Bergman left the hotel that morning carrying a purple plastic bag. Uh, when he returned, the bag was... He didn't have it anymore. Okay. Uh, it is a s- Like a shopping bag? Yeah. Or like a tote? Yeah, like okay. a shopping bag. Uh, It's assumed that he had disposed of whatever was in the bag throughout the town and then folded the bag and put in his pocket. Um, Police couldn't identify what he threw away because Bergman seemed to know how to use the CCTV blind spots to his advantage. Hmm. So that's weird. I do wonder if it's, I don't know, that I guess presumes he has some knowledge of the town or maybe he's just very observant. It could be that he just got lucky. I think it's a combination of two and three. Like he might have had an idea and he got lucky. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So on the uh, afternoon of the 14th, uh, Bergman called a taxi and asked the driver to take him to a quiet beach where he could swim. The driver took him to Ross's Point, which was a scenic beach about 15 minutes away by car. Upon arriving, Bergman got out of the car, surveyed the area, seemed satisfied with it, got back in the cab, and requested to be driven back to his hotel. Okay. And that's all he did that day, I guess. On Monday, June 15th, the man checked out of the hotel just after 1 p.m., handed in his room key. Uh, He left with the black shoulder bag, the purple plastic bag, and a different black luggage bag than the one he had arrived with. Um, And the black Hmm. bag that he had arrived with was nowhere to be found. Interesting. Uh, He walked to the bus station, then stopped at Quayside Shopping Center and stood in the doorway. What? Key. Key. Keyside. It's spelled Quay. Whatever. I know. It's pronounced Key. Keyside Shopping Center with an E. Centre. British are so pretentious. Centre. Oh, Irish. The Irish are so pretentious. (laughs) All of you over there with your E's and U's and fuck the Canadians, too. They're putting stuff in there that doesn't need to be there. Yeah, you don't need all those extra U's in there. I guess technically Sadie Center does have an E in it, but they've just swapped it with the R, so. Yeah, that's a fancy way. Let me just climb down off my high horse. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he went to the shopping center and just stood in the doorway for several minutes. Even the Wikipedia cool. article noted that he awkwardly stood in the doorway. <laughs> I don't know if you can stand in a doorway any other way. Not no, for you that can, like, time. lean against the frame with, like, a cigarette hanging out of your mouth and a cowboy hat on. It's not awkward. It's just off-putting. <laughs> um, eventually, he left the shopping center and walked towards the bus station, still carrying all three bags. Um, at around 1.30, he ordered a cappuccino and a toasted ham and cheese sandwich at the bus station. It's a nice fucking bus station. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, that sounds good. I'm like, mm, maybe not at a bus station. Toasted ham and cheese sandwich, though, man. Uh, uh, now I'm hungry. Yeah. Uh, while eating his food, he looked at pieces of paper that he had pulled from his pockets, and after reading the pieces of paper, he tore them in half and threw them away in a nearby trash can. He then boarded a 220 bus to Ross's Point. It was reported that he was seen by 16 people while walking on the beach, greeting other people and seeming very pleasant. Mm. The following morning... Runners Arthur Kinsella and his son Brian found the man's body lying on the beach at 6.45 in the morning. He was wearing purple striped Speedo-type swim trunks with his underpants over the top and a navy t-shirt tucked into them. Which is That's a, a choice. It's a detail that I either didn't remember or did not know. I don't think I knew that. That sounds insane. Yes. Uh, the men told the police that they then said the Lord's Prayer for the man, because it's still Ireland, uh, and then called yeah. the authorities. <laughs> At 8.10... You call God first, then you call the Garda. <laughs> first call should always be H-I-M. <laughs> uh, at 8.10, coroner Dr. Valerie McGowan officially pronounced him dead. Which is, if he hadn't moved or, like, done anything between 6.45 and 8.10, I don't think they needed to bring a doctor in. But, you know, they needed someone to sign the paperwork, I guess. Yeah, it, it, it's a paperwork thing. Uh, Peter Bergman's body was taken to be inspected and autopsied. The rest of his clothes had been scattered across the beach. His pockets were empty with no money, no wallet, no ID. The labels of his clothes had been cut out. It was established that he drowned and foul play wasn't suspected. Hmm. Uh, the autopsy showed that his teeth were in good condition with the exception of a few fillings. But once they like got inside, investigators realized that Bergman was a hot mess. Oof. 
The autopsy showed that he had advanced stage prostate cancer as well as bone tumors, and uh, his heart showed signs of developing heart disease. Oh, yikes. Uh, Do they know about how old he was? I believe 50 to 60. Okay. A very weird note, considering the toxicology report concluded that he had no medication of any sort in his system, despite all of these glaring medical issues. And the medical examiner noted that due to the man's health, he would have been in significant pain and would have required prescription pain medicine or at least an Advil. Yeah, that's insane. I remember that detail, I think, from the Thinking Sideways. Mm -hmm. And yeah, especially if you're an advanced. Oh, man. Authorities checked the address and, like I said, found a vacant lot in Austria. Um, And while extensive searches didn't reveal anything, um, Peter Bergman was determined to be a false name. He did not exist. Uh, The letters that he posted uh, had never been traced either. Hmm. Investigators have Bergman's DNA, clothes, and remains, and they're now just in a waiting game until they find a DNA match or someone comes forward. Yeah. Um, As you'd expect everyone interested in the case has their own idea about what was going on some think he was a spy wasn't a spy or a gangster on the run from an organized crime group others believe he was trying to claim a life insurance policy presumably because they tend to pay out more in the case of an accident but he also is unidentified so yeah that would be a big wrench in the plan unless like the person who is benefiting from the life insurance policy had a clause where, like, if that person disappears, you get it after a certain amount of time. Yeah. But I've never really heard of life insurance. I mean, I feel like most life insurance companies uh, try their best not to pay out in scenarios like that. Yeah. Um, some people, assholes, have even suggested that the whole thing was a hoax orchestrated by an Irish filmmaker named... Ah, fuck. Uh, you know the guy that played Aberforth Dumbledore in Harry Potter? No. Um, he was also in Political Animals. Not ringing a bell. Um, I can't pronounce his name. It's Irish, but you can probably pronounce let me, it. Let me look him up. Um, uh, you said he played Aberforth? Yeah, in the seventh Harry Potter movie. Oh, is it Kieran? Kieran. And Kieran he was Hines? in Woman in Black. Yep. I could have just said Woman in Black. Kieran Hines. Uh, Woman in Black, that one I would have gotten. Sorry. Uh, anyway, uh, by an Irish filmmaker named Kieran Cassidy, whose 2003 documentary, The Last Days of Peter Bergman, was until recently some of the only media coverage of the case. Obviously, they hadn't heard of the Thinking Sideways episode. Yeah, obviously. Um, as they thought he was like had some kind of avant-garde commentary about the fascination with true crime, and he had just created the whole case. Um, when asked about this theory, Cassidy just replied, "It's real. Welcome to the rabbit hole." <laughs> That's a lot of effort, honestly. Yes. So theories. Uh, it's not exciting. But I think he was just a dude who was dying of all of the cancers, um, didn't want to make a big deal of it, went to a nice seaside town in Ireland, and walked into the ocean. The outfit does give me pause. Yeah, that I don't know. Unless, like, by underwear, do they mean, like, boxers? I don't know. I didn't really look into the type of underwear he was wearing too much. I also didn't specifically... Oh, God, I'm going to have to... Hold on. My search history is already garbage at this point, so... What kind of underwear was Peter Bergman? Peter Bergman crime scene. Mercifully, there are no photos from him on the That's beach. That's fine. Um, yeah, he just looks like an old man. But yeah, I think he just walked into the ocean. Uh, yeah. I think there's an element to a lot of these cases where people feel like they're sparing their loved ones something by disappearing. Well, that's... That isn't to say that's what his deal was, but, like, 
Sometimes that's what it is. He did send some letters. So that leads me to believe that he was sending them to people in anticipation. Mm -hmm. Um, And then right before he got on the bus to go to the beach, he was like reading papers that might have been like, oh, I'll leave a note. And then he decided against it or something. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah, I would be fascinated to find out where those letters ended up. Because like, presumably, there's people out there who have some awareness. Yeah, he might have been like, paying off bills or something that he had outstanding. So like whoever his survivors were, if he had any, like didn't have to deal with it. That's possible. Yeah. Um, I would love to know what was in the purple bag. I know it's like a small detail that like doesn't have a ton (laughs) of bearing, but like what was in the bag? I mean, I wonder too, like the letters, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to like speak ill of this man for no reason, like completely unsubstantiated speculation here. Like, I don't know, maybe if he was under some delusions or just wasn't, you know, well, maybe he was sending angry letters that just like to his hospital, to his health insurance, like something like that, where like people would read it and just dismiss it as a crank letter and like it wouldn't make any sort of impression. Like, it's entirely possible it was, like, letters of no real consequence. Yeah. I mean, it could have been nothing. We don't yeah. know. I would I would and love for him. Will. I would love for him to be identified. Um, yeah, that one has just so many weird little details. He's just so meticulous. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why, like, I'm totally okay with the fact, like, he probably did die by suicide. Like, that seems like a given. Yeah. It seemed like he was preparing. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so let's... <laughs> Move on to uh, our next story, which is actually a new to me story, um, mm. where I, I knew about the other three and like followed them because Thinking Sideways did episodes on them. Um, but this one, I found out about when I was doing research for this story. Um, Expanding your horizons. It is reminiscent to me of the story that I did for our Unsolved Mysteries episode. Do you remember with the guy in the hotel room? Yeah. Vaguely. Yes. I still love that story. Um, as well as the story of the Isdal woman, um, mm-hmm. which is a woman who is found burned and naked on a hillside in Norway after being shady around a local hotel, f- hotel for a few days. Uh, somehow Norwegian police labeled that as a suicide, but whatever. <laughs> that, I mean, I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility, but it definitely strikes me more as that lady was probably murdered in some fashion. She was naked on a hillside and burned. Yeah. It's the burning that gets it's me. It's the burning, because she also had, like, a bunch of sedatives in her stomach, but, like, that definitely reads to me as someone knocked her out and lit her on fire. Mm-hmm. But that's not the story we're talking about today. Go listen to any of the other number of podcasts on that subject. Yeah. Uh, today we're going to talk about the case of Jennifer Fairgate. Okay. Did you see the the Unsolved Mysteries on this one? I've definitely seen this okay. episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Okay. As I said, like, I, I have opinions. So uh, my sources are Refinery29, Medium, Marie Claire, uh, and a website called RadioTimes.com, which actually had a very helpful timeline. And the episode of Unsolved Mysteries. On June 3rd, 1995, the body of a woman was found inside room 2805. I don't know why I read that number like that. 2805? That sounds better. There are. Yeah. Of the Radisson Blue Plaza Hotel in Oslo, Norway. I don't know why, like, being in Norway, like, just makes this a creepier, spookier. Yeah. I don't know. It just makes me feel like a Stieg Larsson novel a little bit. Oh, my God. Yes. I was just going to say, like, if this were a movie, it would be Rebecca Ferguson and Michael Fassbender. Yeah. Which Michael Fassbender is definitely German, but I think he could pull it off. (laughs) 
Um, at around 8 p.m. that night, hotel security knocked on the door to check on the occupant after the do not disturb sign had been on the door for at least 24 hours. Um, and the occupant was supposed to check out several days before. He almost immediately heard a gunshot and ran off to get back up. Yeah, probably a good move. Yeah. Uh, 15 minutes later, the guard returned and kept an eye on the room until Oslo police arrived 50 minutes after the initial gunshot. The police in these stories are so slow. (laughs) This is a situation where, like, I get, okay, there's a dead body in a cemetery. You you can probably take your time. There's not a lot that's going to change about that situation. A gunshot in a hotel, you know, maybe be, maybe have a little more sense of urgency in that situation. (laughs) Reminded me of the Andrew Cunanan story where they had him, like, cornered and they, like, didn't make a move on, like, where he was hiding for hours. Yeah. He had killed himself almost immediately. <laughs> like, he, th- they had just been watching the doorway for a dead body to come out, I guess. Yeah. Just like a little more urgency with this, people. Anyway, when the police entered the room, they found a woman lying on the bed, face up with a gunshot wound to the center of her forehead. Interesting. Yes. Uh, she was holding a Browning 9mm pistol, which is apparently used by criminals and the Norwegian army. I think guns are illegal in Norway, so, like, if you're not the army, you're a criminal with a gun, right? Like, that's... Yeah, I mean, it's probably difficult to buy a gun legally. You can probably get, like, a shotgun. Yeah, this is, like, a handgun, so... Yeah. So, yeah, she probably did have to go through some illegal means to get it. That doesn't strike me as odd, I guess. Yeah. Despite it looking like a suicide, sort of, uh, the gun was held upside down in her hand. There was no blood or gunshot residue on her hand. The center of the forehead just seemed really strange to me for a, a suicide. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, hesitant always to say, like, people would never commit suicide that way. Because, I mean, people yeah, 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 yeah. do It's just an things. odd choice. But, it, yeah, like, it's certainly something that would, like, raise a red flag. And you should investigate that further. But this whole story yeah. is made of red flags. <laughs> Uh, she had no purse, no toiletries, or a passport. All of the labels had been removed from her clothing. Because um, she was a spy. Because she was a spy. And she seemed to only pack clothing for her upper body. So she had shirts and bras and, and jacket, but no pants, skirts, or dresses, or underwear. Huh. I was going to say that's not quite odd, because, like, I definitely, like, I'll wear pants more than once. So, like, if I go overnight for a trip, I may not pack pants. But she didn't but... have jammies. Yeah. There was evidence that someone in the room had showered, as well as a bottle of men's cologne found among the things. Um, the serial numbers on the gun had been removed with acid, and there were more bullets in her luggage. Just loose. Like, 50 shells in her luggage. Well, I don't know. Those boxes don't always seal very tight. The room was double locked from the inside, uh, but an intruder would have had a few minutes to be able to leave the room, should an intruder have existed. Um, there were no signs of a struggle, though. And how would they lo- relock the door from the outside? We will talk about that sh- okay. at some point. I mean, I have it in my notes, but it, it's not like shortly. There's other shit, but we will talk about it. Okay. We're going to rewind a little bit because we actually have quite a bit of information on what this woman was doing before her body was found. Not like Peter Bergman levels of information, but like we have witnesses and key card information. I cannot retain information. This was in like the 90s, 95. Right? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, no CCTV. Um, On May 31st, a young white woman dressed in black with short hair checked into the Oslo Plaza Hotel. She had blue eyes, like I said, dark short hair, um, and it's hard to find more of a definitive description of her, but she has been described by multiple people in the episode of Unsolved Mysteries as being very pretty. 
And to be fair, oh, the sketch of her is very nice. Uh, she seemed, like I said, pretty cute from the sketch that they passed around later, um, but I refuse to make a determination based on that and the post-mortem photos, which those are going to haunt me. Oh, boy. Yeah, I I can't bring myself to, like, search those out. I've definitely seen, like, like I said, like, Forensic Files, surprisingly graphic and surprisingly doesn't uh, affect me as much as I think it would. It's, but- the, it's the 90s... Uh, video quality it's all blurry oh yeah no thank you the photo they showed on unsolved mysteries was like you know 2020 hd so yeah anyway despite it being a luxury hotel akin to like the four seasons um or some other expensive shit i don't know uh she didn't provide a credit card or any form of identification only signing in under the name jennifer fairgate which she also misspelled in two places on the registration forms so definitely a fake name. A spy. Definitely a spy. Definitely a spy. Um, I guess it doesn't surprise me that she didn't give a credit card because like it's the nineties in Europe and Yeah, that's not as weird as the Peter Bergman one. Yeah. Um according to staff, she spoke English and German, um, although she had no particularly notable accent. Which I don't know what that means. Like, does that mean she had, like, a Norwegian accent? So it's like they didn't notice because it was Norway or, like, she had a German accent. Uh, There was apparently a man named Louis Fairgate who checked in with her. Um, This was corroborated by witnesses at the hotel who said she appeared to be with a man. uh, But I cannot find a description of this man anywhere. It's just a man. Uh, Jennifer carried only a couple small bags with her and would be assigned to hotel room 2805 on the 28th floor of the hotel. Uh, Jennifer and the man would walk over to the elevators and go up to the room together, but it's unclear how long the man actually Mm -hmm. stayed with her. Because he vanishes from the story. (laughs) Um, She apparently spent a significant amount of time outside of her room and called Belgian phone numbers from the room when she was there. Always the Belgians. Always the Belgians. People forget that Belgium is there. Just out there eating chocolate, dipping their fries in mayonnaise. The mayonnaise, very good. I don't like mayonnaise a ton, but like if it's a nice aioli, I'll Mm. I'll get behind that. Um, So the following is a rough timeline of the next few days uh, in the hotel leading up to the discovery of the body. So Wednesday, May 31st at 1044 p.m., the woman entered her room for the first time. So she checked in late at night on a Wednesday, which is strange. Um, Thursday, June 1st at 12.21 a.m., someone left the room. Uh, June 1st at 8.34 a.m., the key card was used again. Uh, June 1st at 12.50 p.m., the room was cleaned. And according to housekeeping, the room was unoccupied during this time. Um, And while the bed had been made, it appeared not to have been slept in, and the uh, extra duvet, which had been provided for you know, the second person had not been used because fun fact in places like Norway, it's normal for each person sleeping in a bed to have their own yeah. comforter. It's pretty smart. Honestly, fucking brilliant. <laughs> I can't remember. I think it's catching on now as like a TikTok trend. I can't remember what they're calling it. Something like the Scandinavian trend or something like that. Oh but- God. Somehow TikTok trends just make like normal <laughs> stuff sound fucking stupid. I mean, girl dinner it's no it's called depression meal i i i mean i will say i'm a big fan of girl dinner because that's like most of oh, my no, meals. i love girl dinner but but girl dinner is just my adhd executive dysfunction coming to light like i don't plan to just eat handfuls of parmesan <laughs> don't make it cute i love making it cute <laughs> let me be let me be a gremlin it's gremlin See, that's meal. What i feel like i feel like it isn't trying to make it cute i think it's trying to showcase i think it's more i don't know the attitude of the videos i have seen are more like girls are all gremlins 
And we should all embrace the fact that girls are all little gremlins. That's how I read it. But that's just my interpretation. I think it's also like media and stuff catching on to it. And then them trying to make it cute just makes it like, oh, yeah, stop. That's always how it starts. It's it's always like people just being their little gremlin selves. And then the media like tries to make it a thing. Yeah. The yeah, media. Don't make this a rosé all day t-shirt thing. The media. Um, anyway, so uh, 12, 12.50 p.m. The room was cleaned. Um, uh, and they said the room was empty. So uh, for anyone keeping score, the key card was used at 8.34 a.m. on the morning of June 1st. Okay. The room was empty at 12.50 p.m. on June so 1st. She had left the key some card time between then. Yes. And here's where it gets super weird. The key card was not used again until 8.50 a.m. on June 2nd. Oh, she was gone a while. That's 20 to... Tw- that's 20 to 24 hours yeah, out of the room. Interesting. Why book a hotel if you're not going to stay there? Exactly. At 11.03 on June 2nd, the key card was used again. At 8.23 p.m. on June 2nd, Jennifer ordered room service. It was delivered by a staff me- member uh, who noticed the room was, quote, almost mm-hmm. sterile. So, like, not touched or anything. Um, she gave her a tip of 50 kroner, which is about 5.50 in United States money. Just like a lot in 1995. Yeah. See inflation on that. All right. If in 1995, I first nine four five fifty in today's money, how much is this bitch tipping? Eleven eleven. That's reasonable. That's an okay tip. I don't know how much this restaurant, this uh, place was charging for room service, yeah. but the meal is significant because an autopsy found undigested food in her stomach, suggesting that she died on the second and not the day after when the gunshot was heard. Interesting. But, and do they know like the food that she had ordered was the food that was found in her stomach? You know, I didn't actually find anything on that, but she didn't order room service again. And her key card wasn't used again after that. So it's, she hadn't left the room. Interesting. I guess it's impossible. I guess it's possible too that. I mean, I guess there are two possibilities. One, or three possibilities. Okay. One, she did die earlier than they heard the gunshot, which is weird. Uh, two, mm-hmm, she mm-hmm. just didn't eat the food right away, which is also weird. Or yes. three, the autopsy just estimated it wrong because, you know, nothing is an exact science, but I know. There's also the fourth possibility of someone else came into the room and brought food. But the key card wasn't used because she just opened uh, the door yeah, for Yeah, that would make complete sense. Um, so the next on the timeline is 8.04 p.m. on the 3rd. Oslo Plaza's head of security finds Jennifer dead. Uh, an autopsy determined that the woman was around 24 to 40 years old, uh, despite her listing a birthday on intake forms that would have made her 21. Uh, she was 5 foot 3 inches, weighed about 147 pounds, and had extensive dental work done in gold and porcelain, indicating a wealthy mm. background. Um, an investigator on the case believed that someone else was in the room and that she may have been drugged, but a toxicology test only checked for alcohol and sedatives and, and uh, alcohol, which mm-hmm. they didn't find, um, but sedatives would have explained the lack yeah. of the struggle. The, the gun situation makes a pretty good case for murder, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Um, the particular gun she found is known to have a massive kickback, meaning that when you fire it, it like, yeah, you know, you guys know what kickback is. You're all weirdos. Um, yeah, so somehow Jennifer, who was a relatively small woman, um, was able to keep the gun in her hand after being shot in the head. 
Uh, the gun was also found perfectly placed in her hand, but upside down. Uh, the hotel room was covered in blood, except for Jennifer's hands, and the gun was shot from above on a downward angle, which would match with suicide. However, there was no blood or, or brain matter found on her hands. There wasn't even any gunshot residue on her hands. The gunshot residue thing is weird. I don't know if the blood necessarily, because especially with, I mean, gunshot wounds... It's the back of the head where the blood is coming out. It's not necessarily like you're stabbing someone and blood is spurting forward. It's, you know, going the opposite direction. Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah, she fell backwards, I guess. So there wouldn't have been any sprayage from her. I'm not saying that completely rules out murder. I'm just saying, like, you know, there are other explanations for that. So initially it was believed to be impossible for someone to lock the door from the inside once they had left the room. But this has been proven to be untrue uh, if someone really wanted to make this work. So get ready for, like, a Pee-wee's machine at the beginning of Pee-wee's Big Adventure, like, (laughs) level of, of shit. Uh, so the hotel uses the time locks locking system, which is the same system that a lot of other hotels use, which is a detail that I found and thought I should include, but I don't know why it's really relevant. The outside of the door has the key card access lock, meaning, you know, you swipe mm-hmm. the key card. However, the inside of the door has the handle and a lock that you can lock from the inside. Um, but all you have to do to lock that is pull the handle upward. Okay. So from the inside, presumably. If someone really wants... From from the inside. So, like, if you're in your room and you want to lock the door, you just pull the main handle up and it locks it. It doesn't lock automatically? If you're, uh, not okay. that I can tell. Maybe it triggers a, se- a second okay. lock. Because it said it was double locked. Um, and I assume that it unlocks the second lock just by pushing the right. handle down. Um, so, if, if you really wanted to lock the inside door from the outside, you could conceivably attach a string to the inner door handle. Um, and run the string out to the outside and then close the door and then pull the string up to move the handle and slip the like the loop on it off. And then the string gets pulled through the crack in the door and there's no evidence. So it looks like the door was locked from the inside. If that wacky ass explanation makes sense. I, I think I can picture that. I mean, is it possible? Yes. Is it likely? Maybe. I don't know. And again, like, I literally just got done saying, like, you can't apply logic and ration to, like, people, like, human behavior. But if you just shot someone, you're trying to get the hell out of there, are you going to stop? And if you planned it, maybe, but, like, someone heard him. You're in a busy hotel. Like, there's no guarantee that you aren't going to run into someone at any moment. There was also a test shot fired into one of the pillows, which isn't uncommon for for suicides by gunshot. But... I find it very weird that the the security guard knocked, heard a gunshot immediately afterwards, you know? Yeah, I guess my my take on that has always been, like, maybe she was trying, like, she's you said there was a test shot, presumably. Like, maybe she's sitting there, she's mm-hmm. trying to psych herself up, someone knocks, and she, like, panics, and, like, I need to do this now, or I'm gonna, you know, get interrupted, or it's just not gonna happen. But yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I said uh, I had opinions on this case, and my opinion is I think it was probably suicide, but there definitely are some weird things. Like, I wouldn't necessarily rule out murder. I don't know if I have a strong yeah, opinions I, one way or the other, but I tend to lean suicide. Well, here, here, here are some things. Um, uh, another guest staying on the same floor as Jennifer said that in the middle of the night, I don't know which night, she heard strange noises, like someone pounding or banging on something. Apparently, it was loud enough to keep the woman from sleeping, but not loud enough to alarm her. Uh, she was going to call to the hotel reception desk, but it stopped mm-hmm. on its own. There was also another man who checked into the hotel around the same time as Jennifer, who also listed an address in Belgium. 
Uh, He stayed in a room on the same floor across the hall from Jennifer in uh, 2804. Uh, He has never been identified and is only referred to as Mr. F. Um, He checked out of his room on... Mr. F? Mr. F. Like from Arrested Development? Mr. (sighs) Obviously, this predates that show. Uh, um, He checked out of his room on June 3rd, just before Jennifer's body was discovered. Uh, This man has been deemed suspicious, but he has never come forward because I don't know why the fuck he would. (laughs) I mean, even if he's completely innocent, I would maybe stay out of that one. Oh, yeah. That's a very much like, this is none of my business. <laughs> I would rather not get involved. Um, Jennifer's body... The movie? I wrote that phrase and I was like, oh, God damn it. Jennifer's body was exhumed in 2016 with the hopes that researchers might be able to find something new um, and also pull a new sample of DNA so they could run that against things. The only information they could extract was that she was only 24 years old and of European heritage. So stuff we fucking yeah. knew. Great. Good job, everybody. Um, besides being a professional spy or government agent, man, someday a spy is going to die under weird circumstances and no one's going <laughs> to believe them. <laughs> Uh, Some investigators believe that she could have been involved with drug smuggling or sex work. Um, Either one of these theories could explain the reason that she had used a fake identity and had a gun and so much ammunition. It could also explain the clothing that she was found in, which was described as, quote, clubbing clothing uh, or like a nice going out top. I mean, I don't know. It's Oslo in the 90s. And you're in your 20s? Maybe she just went out partying. That's true. Um, One of the maids, I believe, described a pair of boots that she had in her room as being, like, super colorful, like, platform boots. And those were missing um, when they searched the room. Uh, so some have speculated that she was perhaps a flight attendant, um, which is why she hardly had any luggage. But it also wouldn't explain all the other weird shit or why she didn't have any pants. <laughs> she could have been a flight attendant, sure. But, like, that doesn't explain anything. She doesn't have ID, a passport, like... Yeah, and this is pre... I guess, I don't... No, I was say pre-9-11. I don't know if, like, the European Union rules were in effect then. Like, the, you you can move from one, one European country to another without a passport. But I don't know Maybe, when that Maybe, but she didn't have effect. any ID. Yeah. So that's all I have on Jennifer Fairgate. I, I don't know. Yeah, there are definitely, like, a lot of weird things with that case. Um, I don't know. I just feel like... So many times we build up these cases to be something weird, and then we find out what it is, and it's never anything weird. So that is what is behind well, a lot of my hesitancy, I guess. With with other stuff, like like Joseph Newton Chandler, like he obviously died by suicide, uh, and it became apparent that he was like running from his family or something. So like that made sense. Um, Christmas tree lady Joyce Summers, like that was obviously a suicide. She uh, probably had mental health issues. Peter Bergman had medical issues, so, like, that suicide makes sense. But, like, and I know there's, you know, sometimes you just don't know. But with this lady, like, I don't know, just something seems very weird about it. Like, there was nothing wrong with her physically. Like, I don't know. Yeah, but I think it's a losing game trying to, like, ascribe a motivation to a suicide, too. Like, yeah. Exactly. Sometimes... Not that there isn't a reason, but sometimes the reason is that person was suicidal. I mean, the stuff with the gun and then something that I completely forgot to mention is that they found the meal that she had ordered barely touched, oh. still in the room. Like, she had been interrupted or just, like, hadn't eaten mm-hmm. a lot of it. I don't know. It just, it, like, this case could go either way. Yeah, there, I, I, there are definitely weird things with that case. My 
My question, though, is like, how much of that is these details get made weird in hindsight? Because there's so much there's mystery. No yeah, there's no context. It's a lot of things out of context that we really just, they seem weird, but that's just because we don't know. Yeah. And that's not to say that maybe they are still weird in context, too. But again, we have no idea. My kind of out there theory is, uh, like, in the movie Psycho. Oh, yeah. Like, she had stolen money and was on A bunch of money. I mean, I think it's... Yeah. You know, I think it's definitely feasible that maybe she was involved, had some criminal ties. Like, if she knew where to get a gun, like, I wouldn't know where to get an illegal gun. And I'm in America. Like, (laughs) they're everywhere. (laughs) In Norway, like, you probably need some connections to get a hold of that. So, I don't know. That... Yeah, so the the lack of gunshot residue, the way she was holding the gun, the fact that the gunshot was in the middle of her head, which is not unheard of, but still kind of weird, especially because you have to hold the gun really weird to do it. Those... Which might explain why it was upside down. Like, that's an easier grip, maybe. Those things give me a lot more pause than, like, why didn't she pack pants? I don't know. (laughs) That bothers me (laughs) on a level that I cannot describe. Or, like, she was gone from the room yeah. for, like, 24 that hours. That stuff is weird. Like, it's just that, like, that stuff doesn't necessarily point to murder for me. It, I, Yeah, it's, again, it's, you, you don't know what's going on in a person's head. You don't know, like, where she went, where she was going to see. Like, you don't have that information, so it's going to seem weird in a vacuum like that. Yeah, yeah. So, I... I don't know. This one is kind of frustrating, but it's also... I mean, also- that's why these cases are fun, though, right? Is because we get a lot of details exactly, and we, we try and piece them together and they never fit. I think the the part about these stories that, like, fascinates me is, like, I want to know why people did what they did, obviously, because there are so many weird details. But, like, there's also that, like, I feel like they deserve to be known for, like, who they were, even if that person was a little bit shady mm-hmm. or, like, weird. Like, th- they were still a whole yeah. person. And now, like, like Peter Bergman is just a fake name and a guy they found in his underwear on the beach. Like, he deserves more yeah. than that. Even if he didn't think that he mm-hmm. did. Yeah. So. And I've, I've definitely seen this conversation happen on Reddit around cases like this where, you know, like, if a person like the Annandale Jane Doe, if she dies and clearly wants to remain anonymous, like, do we owe it to her to just let her be anonymous? And I think you can argue that both ways. I think there are definitely, like, an argument to be made that, you know, even if she did not want to be known, her family deserves to know what happened. But then again, you don't know what her relationship with her family was. Maybe they didn't deserve to know. And it's, again, it's like, you can't make that determination. So I think the best you can do is just err on the side of giving them their name. Yeah, I just, I feel like everyone deserves to be known by, like, you know, who they they yeah. were. Not like, ooh, this woman is a, a Yeah, mystery. not as like, a strange ooh. mystery. Yeah, I think that too. Maybe that's how christmas tree lady wanted to be known i don't know it seems like maybe she did but like yeah like especially with like peter bergman or jennifer fairgate if she did die by suicide like maybe they didn't think they deserved to to have their identity or something but like they they do like everyone mm-hmm. deserves to like be a person i don't know i'm, I'm being weird about yeah. it but <laughs> anyway that's that's unidentified person <laughs> christ got real existential there at the end but here we are that's- it did Thanks for doing that episode. I always find these, yeah, I regardless of, I mean, I'm going to be me and I'm going to be, you know, a boring person and think the mundane explanation is probably the most likeliest, but that doesn't mean it's I find usually these the case. cases any less fascinating. It's it's usually the most boring option, but sometimes there's some comfort yeah. in that. 
because, you know, maybe there wasn't a big conspiracy. Um, ah. So if you have any details on these cases that you find interesting, um, please tell us. We are on Instagram at Afternoonified. You can also email us at Afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com. Um, but, oh, yes, uh, get Afternoonified.com as uh, website where you can um, find our merch. Um, that's fun. We got a lot of good stuff out there now. We're we're getting more and more unhinged with the merch ideas, so you know, enjoy that. Um, but yeah, you can find merch there. Um, remember to rate, subscribe, review, all of that stuff. Um, we have a break coming up. I think that's fair to like warn you guys, but not until after oh, the holidays. Our usual winter break. Yeah, if you guys know anything um, about these. Uh, God, please tell me. Please, please tell me everything well, you know. Maybe tell the police first, but then tell us. T- yes, I would hope that if they have information like that, that they would tell the police first. I'm just talking about stuff that you could Google that I just oh. didn't happen to find. <laughs> oh, not like I actually know who killed Jennifer Farragate level knowledge. Just like, no, I too have looked into this weird case and this is my favorite weird detail. <laughs> Yes. Sorry, I thought we were unsolved mysteries. No, we don't have a phone number for them to call into. I'm not Robert Stack. All right, goodbye, everybody. We love you. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.